BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Day 31 of the Trump shutdown and still no end in sight as Donald Trump insults the American people with a deal to end it that is no deal at all. Bottom line, Donald Trump does not want to end the shutdown. He is enjoying it. He likes watching people suffer and he likes being the center of attention. Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Monday, Monday, January 21. Rolling right along here into this new year, and uh, we've got lots on. Boy, it is so much has happened since I saw you last on Thursday. Yes, we've got the uh, still the uh, back and forth on the State of the Union. Is there going to be one or not? Then we've got this phony deal that Donald Trump announced on Saturday uh, from the White House uh, pretending to put something forward to resolve the shutdown. It does nothing at all. Not one single Democrat has endorsed it so far, and they're not going to. And on top of that, we got Rudy, Rudy uh, report rather uh, that Donald Trump told and ordered and instructed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress, which Rudy Giuliani denies. But then again, he says, yeah, but they did talk about something. And so far as I know, he didn't tell him to lie. But, you know, <laughs> read between the lines. Maybe he did. And you know as well as I do that he did tell Michael Cohen to lie. There's so much going on here. We'll jump right into it. And we want to hear from you what you think about all the latest here. Is this the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency, as uh, several people told me over the weekend? Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Good to have you with us. But first, this is the Full right. Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news, Bill. We know who's going to the Super Bowl. How about it? Yes, indeed. Two games that yesterday. old man from New England, man. <laughs> both of them, got, both of the games yesterday went to overtime, 
And the Rams beat the Saints. Yep. And the Patriots, that old man from New England, Tom Brady, you were just talking about, yeah. they beat the Chiefs, both in overtime. Now, the real story For here is— how many is, years have we had this story? It's the third year in a row that the Patriots have gone to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but with Brady, he's always too old. He's too old. He can't play again. And then he just comes back and— Super Bowl. The big story here, by the way, that everybody is talking about is the officiating. Both of the losing teams were, in a lot of people's opinions, absolutely robbed. There was oh, one really? in, one pass interference play call that was not made at the end of the Rams-Saints game that would have guaranteed a Saints win that was... Oh. And I saw it this morning. It's the worst botch call maybe in the history of sports. Oh, uh, no. The Patriots and the Chiefs, the Patriots got a couple of good lucky yeah. calls there at the end, but the Patriots, I think, were the better team. But still, the officiating was terrible. Mm. So if you were an NFL fan and you were going to watch the Super Bowl in two weeks, you can you can only hope that the officiating will get better. Again, uh, the Super Bowl— It wasn't is- that— New woman ref was it? No, 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 no. Oh, that okay. was not the problem. Oh, okay. uh, the new super, uh, the Super Bowl is going to take place February third in Atlanta. So maybe it'll be two two weeks. Maybe what? Maybe shutdown. Atlanta Airport might not be open. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I no, think they're, worried, the, they're worried about that. I, I I think the Super Bowl is still absolutely going to take place. How are people going to get there? Biggest air, busiest airport. We'll see if the biggest right. event in the world t- takes place in two weeks. I got a feeling it will. TSA, stay home. <laughs> TSA, stay home. For the record, I mean, if the, if the airport does close down, the Super Bowl will still happen. For the record, yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. By the way, you know, in terms of higher education, there is now a co- State University of New York in Morrisville. They are going to roll out a new program next fall to teach students how to. Grow marijuana. Yes. Because marijuana is becoming such a big business, they're saying, look, if you want to get into business, mm-hmm. yeah. you need to know what you're doing. You need to know how to grow weed. You need to know how to market it. And they're setting up a whole program to help students learn how to grow, you market, can get your degree so we- in pot. That's I got it. mine in San Francisco. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Day 31 of the Trump shutdown. And Donald Trump, to end it, says, you give me everything I want. I got a deal for you. You give me everything I want, and I'll give you nothing. That's Donald Trump's deal. Hello, everybody. On a Monday, January 31. So good to see you today. Seriously, so good to see you, and thank you for joining us. Uh, you got lots of choices, we know, every day, uh, but the fact that you start your day with us, we appreciate very, very much, and we're delighted to see you and have you on board here. For the next two hours of the Bill Press Show, we'll bring you, as we always do, uh, some of the most informed uh, guests, journalists, newsmakers, politicians, whatever, elected officials that we can hustle together here uh, to talk about all the news of the day, whether it's happening in Washington, D.C., where you find us, or across the country or around the globe, if it's important. We're talking about it. We'll inform you about what's going on, give you our take on the news of the day, and most importantly, look forward to hearing from you. Uh, And you can do so, of course, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. As we, again, start out on our in from our studio on Capitol Hill 
in Washington, D.C., a quiet city today. Of course, it's been quiet for the last 31 days because uh, so many federal employees uh, are furloughed and um, the local businesses are really, really hurting, including our metro here. Uh, But it's also quiet today because, of course, it is Martin Luther King Day, and we wish you a very happy Martin Luther King Day if you're lucky enough to have the day off and just remember uh, what a great man, what a great contribution, what a great American, and how far we still have to go to realize his mission, his goals, and his dream. Not there yet far from it. And please, Mike Pence, don't invoke Martin Luther King in support of the wall. How disgusting is that? So we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, of course. As we do every day, we join you on the radio statewide in Indiana, Indiana Talks, and Chicago, you are ours. We are yours, baby, on WCPT throughout Chicago and the greater Chicago area. And around the entire country, look at you on Free Speech TV. Yes, indeed. Looking good. It was a bad day. Donald Trump on Friday said, I'm going to be making a big announcement from the White House on Saturday. I'm going to point the way to end the shutdown and to build my wall. They changed it to 4 o'clock Saturday. But, uh, you know, if you gather in the front, it was basically... <laughs> pardon me, a little replay, I thought, of the Oval Office speech. First of all, he cannot, here's part of the problem, Donald Trump cannot talk about immigration without talking about rapists, criminals, telling the same stories over and over again, telling the same lies over and over again, you know, which we've, we heard them again. Thousands of people crossing the border every day. Not true, not true. At most, a thousand. Border crossing, people coming across the southern border at a 50-year low. Okay, And then he goes on about all the heroin is coming across. Yeah, the heroin is coming across, we know, yes. Dogs are coming across at ports of entry. They're not coming across by people carrying them on their backs and crossing the Rio Grande. Um, uh, and, and so a whole series of lies at any rate. And then he throws out, he said, okay, but I got the deal for you. Here you go. Here you go. You give me everything I want. You give me my great, big, beautiful concrete wall from sea to sea, shining sea, and I'll give you three years on the DACA program, protection for three years, and three years for those who are under temporary protected status. No deal. I mean, that is just, it's insulting. I want to know, how did, here's one how did Donald Trump get the reputation for being the great dealmaker? He got elected partly on that brag, and people thought he's a guy that can make deals and get things done. He is lousy at making deals. I mean, maybe that worked in the real estate world of New York City, but it doesn't work in front of all the American people who can see right through them like a piece of Swiss cheese. You know, I think this this, this, ridiculous. this this should absolutely blow apart the argument that business leaders make good presidents. Because, look, there's a certain amount of leverage that he had when he was a, a businessman right. that he could use to get what he wanted, right? I know. 
I would, I would, I would say that you're being too mean to business leaders. I think it proves that a con artist is that's not, fair. That's fair. But there's you know, some. I'm not. By the way, I agree with you. The idea, like with George Bush, oh, he's a businessman, right? Therefore, right, right, right. Or anybody, anybody, right. I mean, the, a lot of these people that run successful businesses got but, there because they are cutthroat and they work for themselves and yeah. their business, and but, they will, you know, completely put people over a barrel in the process. But well, you that, can't do that when you're president of the United no, States. No, and Donald Trump gives all business leaders a bad name. I True, think. fair. That's yeah, fair. You know what he did? He, uh, he's a con artist. At any rate, so he throws out this deal. But, you know, so three years ago, first, remember, three, the Dreamers. Congress didn't pass it, so President Obama did it by executive order. It was a good program, a great program. A, a program was doing something really, really good that all Americans should be proud of, that we're not going to hold these little kids who came here as babies or toddlers responsible for the sins of their parents or the, if you will, the illegal activity of their parents. I mean, how could, how could disagree with that? So the Donald Trump blew up the program destroyed the program, and now he says, I give it back to you for only three years. No permanent protection, no path to citizenship. Yeah, but not even half a loaf if you give me everything I want for the wall, right? And the same thing with the temporary protected status. I think this goes back to George H.W. Bush, maybe before, maybe Ronald Reagan, for people who were countries where they'd had massive natural disasters or civil war or a lot of violence, they could flee here, they could come here under this temporary protection from Haiti, from El Salvador, from Nicaragua. Some of them have been here 15, 20 years. That program was doing fine. Nothing wrong with it. Donald Trump blew it up, said, I don't want it anymore. Said, you got to go home. You've been here long enough. You got to go back. Not that the problems had resolved themselves in those countries. So he blew it up and then he comes back and says, well... I'll go easy on those people, but only for three years. Not going to restore the program. You'll get three years of that. It was just—it was an absolute insult to the people uh, who were figuratively, at least, sitting across uh, the table from him. Um, so uh, a- a- again, I think it's significant. Not Nancy Pelosi called it ahead of time, said it's a non-starter um, because they had leaked. By the way, she didn't go before she knew what he was going to say. They had leaked out of the White House what he was going to say. Yeah, well, I, yeah we I knew mean, early on. We knew early on. Yeah, they were reporting all day long what he was going to say. So of course she had uh, information uh, to make her statement on. Uh, but um, uh, not one single Democrat. Not one single Democrat. That's how bad it is. That's how ludicrous it is. In the House or the Senate has said, "Oh, this sounds like a good deal to me." Hmm. No. Um, of course, Mitch McConnell likes it because Donald Trump has finally told him, Mitch, this is a bill that I will sign if you pass. Here he is from the White House on Saturday, Donald Trump. Again, notice, this is for the temporary protective status. Three years and be happy, baby. This means that 300,000 immigrants whose protected status is facing expiration will now have three more years of certainty so that Congress can work on a larger immigration deal, which everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which Donald Trump uh, had put in front of him by the House and the Senate earlier on, and he rejected. Uh, here he is on, same thing about uh, DACA. This extension will give them access to work permits, social security numbers, and protection from deportation. For three years, and then... They face the same thing all over again. By the way, his pro- his program also would not would only 
apply to the people who are already in the program, 700,000 of them. There are 1.8 million who are eligible for DACA. A lot of them haven't signed up yet. A lot of them were afraid to sign up. Now you know why. Because <laughs> Donald Trump could deport them off they sign up. Just listening to him dangle that out there oh, yeah. is so gross. Oh, yeah. It's so gross. Because this, this is a problem of his making. You know, like, okay, I'll stop. Exactly. We'll stop the deportations. No, he's the one making them happen. He can stop those anytime he wants. DACA was working. TPS was working. Both were working. He blew them up. And now he's saying, I will partially restore them for a temporary, for a limited time only. Again, if you give me everything I want on the wall. No deal. But Donald Trump, again, from the Oval Office, skip over a couple of these, he did say, uh, you know what? I made a promise to build that wall, and baby, I'm going to do it. Here he is. I intend to keep that promise one way or the other. Ooh, what's that mean, one way or the other? Hmm, could that mean, is he threatening the emergency declaration again? Who knows? But he does say, again, he keeps it. This is so funny. Remember, he says, um, the walls. We've always had walls, and walls work. Everywhere. He keeps citing different places that have walls, like the 10-foot wall around the Obama's house in Washington, D.C., which doesn't exist, right? Uh, and then suddenly he pops this up on Saturday. This was earlier in the day on Saturday. If you want to see a wall that works, go to San Antonio, Texas. You look at San Antonio. You look at so many different places. They go from one of the most unsafe cities in the country to one of the safest cities immediately, immediately. Uh, it works. We have to put them up. What is he talking about? First of all, San Antonio is 150 miles from the border? 150 miles from the border. Yeah. And there's no wall around San Antonio. No. There never was. Uh, there's a wall around the Alamo. <laughs> uh, I was there about six weeks ago, by the way. Uh, how did that work? Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's yeah, a wall right. around the Alamo, and, and they got it wiped allowed people out. to come over it and mercilessly <laughs> slaughter everybody behind the wall. Right. right, right. Great. <laughs> Great. Who is feeding him this crap? You know what I mean? God, Steve Miller? I don't know. I'm trying to think of what it is that he's talking what? about. Because yeah. I lived in San Antonio. Uh, the Alamo is the only thing that I can think that he could be talking about, unless he's thinking of somehow... The- I could go over the Alamo wall. Sure, I, yes. I didn't. I walked through the door, <laughs> but I mean, I could. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, and that people to, did. That's the point. That's the, yeah. yeah. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. No. Uh, but I, I do think the fact that... Uh, uh, think about it. the fact that Donald Trump even made this speech. I think indicates uh, that the pressure is uh, starting to get to him. And the thing that I found most disgusting about the speech was so he talks about the wall, the wall, and here, here's what you give me, and I'll give you my, and you give me, I'll give you, you give me the wall, and I'll do this or do that. He really didn't say much at all about the shutdown. There was no focus on exactly what he's doing. Th- think about <coughs> this is day thirty-one. 31 days, he has shut down the government to get his way. And, you know, that's not the way things work. Ronald Reagan wanted the budget balanced, uh, balanced budget amendment. He didn't get it. He didn't shut down the government. Yeah, Barack Obama wanted climate change legislation. He didn't get it. He didn't shut down the government. George Bush 
One of some, remember, he was out there for uh, comprehensive immigration reform. Boy, how quaint and archaic that seems now. Uh, it was the right move. It was a good plan. He didn't get it. He didn't shut down the government. You know, you don't, as Chuck Schumer said so many times, throw a temper tantrum just because you don't get everything you want. And meanwhile, hang out. Think about the TSA, air traffic controllers, the Coast Guard, the Secret Service, the FDA, food inspectors, all those people, the Forest Service, the Park Service, forcing all of those people to work without a paycheck. And this is the week when they'll miss their second paycheck. This thing is not resolved by tomorrow. There'll be no paycheck on Friday. And you're forcing those people to work as indentured servants, basically, because you don't get what you want. And what's he think? What's he talking about? I'm telling you, I've said this before. I said it on MSNBC yesterday. I'll keep saying it. This is not going to end. Donald Trump does not want the One of the problems is Donald Trump does not want the shutdown to end. He doesn't give a damn. He doesn't give a rat's ass about working families. He does. He cannot relate to people who live by paycheck to paycheck. Never lived in that world in his life. Doesn't know anybody who ever lived in that world. And so he doesn't care. His, the only comment he's made about these people and these families who are suffering is they'll figure it out. They always do. They're Americans. They'll figure it out. Uh, and I was glad to see yesterday, by the way, in Atlanta, 8% of people of TSA employees in Atlanta yesterday, 8% called in uh, and uh, said that they were couldn't come to work, most of them because they're out there trying to find other work to get a little money. Uh, to keep the, to, to to tide them through, and I the final point is I just got to say you know we the the resistance has been really strong for the last two years, and we've accomplished a lot through the resistance and the women's march again over the weekend proved that, but where's the resistance on the shutdown? Why aren't there mobs? I don't want to use that word pejoratively. Why aren't there huge crowds of protesters in front of the White House every day? Where is the resistance on this? And I keep coming back. The one way to, to end, the, end the shutdown, take one day. TSA, air traffic controllers, stay home for one day. Just do a one-day lockout. Shutdown will be over. Meanwhile, uh, what did the president tell Michael Cohen, and when did he tell him? Oh, yeah. What this a wild a, couple of days. Wild couple of days. So Michael Cohen is going to be testifying just in two weeks now, February 7, in front of the uh, House Oversight Committee. And, boy, that's going to be one of the biggest media extravaganzas of all time. But So uh, there's a lot about one thing that Michael Cohen said. The first thing he said kind of got lost. He did say, and nobody's disputed this. I just want to be sure we remember this. Michael Cohen did say over the weekend that Donald Trump told him to fix a couple of polls during the campaign. He said, oh, you know, this uh, that CNBC poll, um, yeah, you know. Um, and then on Drudge, they got this thing, they're uh, talking on Drudge. Yeah, could you, uh, you kind of, could you, they're, they're, they're running this poll. Could you kind of talk to them and uh, make sure that poll comes out the right way? <laughs> and Michael Cohen said he made those calls because Donald Trump told him to make those calls to rig these polls, and he said he regrets the blind loyalty that he showed at the time by making those calls. Boom. One, Michael Cohen. Then, two, 
Michael Cohen says, or I'm sorry, BuzzFeed then reports, which was a bombshell, you must admit, BuzzFeed reporting, that um, Donald Trump actually instructed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress about the, his negotiations on the Trump Tower that he wanted to build in Moscow and to tell Congress that they had stopped any dealings with that in January 2016 when uh, the presidential campaign was really getting up and running uh, and didn't, didn't continue beyond that. Now, uh, first of all, we do know that there were conversations and we do know that Michael Cohen has already said he lied to Congress about the timing of those conversations and his dealings with Russia. And he said he kept dealing, he, Michael Cohen, kept talking to Russia about that Trump Tower long into 2016. He's already said that, and he said he lied to Congress about it. And he's going to talk more about that, we believe, on February 7. What BuzzFeed says is he lied to Congress because Donald Trump told him to lie to Congress. And that was met by a kind of denial by Robert Mueller. The special counsel's office, who never has made any comment about anything in the, like, in the last two years, we've always said they're the only people that you never hear from, the only people in Washington who can keep a secret. But for some reason, the special counsel's office felt that this was so explosive that they had to... Um, Oh, and because part of that, Cohen said that Robert Mueller knew this yeah. and had received, and, and Michael Cohen had told Robert Mueller this. The special counsel, for some reason, had to put some distance between it. But let's hear it, Peter. It was not a real denial that this ever happened. Right. So Peter Carr is the name of the spokesman for, for the Rob office of the right. special counsel. He is known. Uh, they call him No Comment Car. No Comment Car. I was about to say he's known yeah. for two words. Yes, he's given. That's about the only two words that he's made about this thing the entire time is no comment. Uh, well, he did put out a comment, and it's a very short one. But he says, "Quote: Buzzfeed's description of specific statements to the special counsel's office and characterization of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding Michael Cohn's congressional testimony are not accurate." Now, what does that mean? There is a lot of unanswered questions. There are a lot I of unanswered questions. I could drive an 18-wheeler through that statement. Yeah. Right. So, notice, They don't clarify what part of it is wrong. No, no, no. They don't no. clarify right. a ton of stuff. He does not say that Michael Cohen, uh, that Donald Trump never told Michael Cohen to lie. And he doesn't say, we know that the president... We don't know whether the president told Michael Cohen to lie. He just says the documents that they reference, that's not how we found out, basically. So right. We, it, so part, part it, of it the leaves it wide open. Part of the story that I think should have been really scary to the Trump family and anybody that's related to Trump is they had their hands, the special counsel, on uh, uh, emails within the organization, texts between Trump and associates, uh, and the special counsel seemed to sort of say, that's not how we know. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. if there's anything to take away from it, it would it's be, right. we may exactly. still have this information about Michael Cohn lying to, right. uh, Donald Trump asking Michael Cohn to lie to Congress, but, but the way that the information was gathered might not be correct. Right. 
Again, in the way that BuzzFeed said. Most it. importantly, it does not say the president never told Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. Ben Smith, uh, our good friend, he's sat right here in this chair in our studio, Ben Smith, uh, the publisher of uh, BuzzFeed, uh, says, uh-uh, we stand by our story. We stand by the reporting in this story. We spoke to, as we described, to federal law enforcement officials involved in the investigation. We're not, we're not playing any games with that characterization. Who told us that the president directed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress? And Anthony Cormier, one of the two, uh, one of the two uh, journalists who wrote the story uh, on uh, reliable sources with Brian Stelter yesterday uh, on CNN, says we don't know exactly what words they used, but we know they did it. What really happened? Is it that Trump said to Cohen, "Take care of me, don't screw me"? Is it is it mob talk? We'll is be, that we'll, what happened here? We'll get there eventually. It wasn't Brian. directing him to lie. It was telling him. Don't screw this up, Michael. Do you have no. those? I mean, I think that is, that's what I'm wondering. That, I mean, because we, we'll take. Like, we, I'm, but you guys I, tell me, is that what actually happened? We don't know. We're trying. We're, we're trying to get the exact language that was used in this conversation, and we will get there one day. They'll get there. Uh, right. They don't need word for word, but they know that was it mob talk, probably coming from Donald Trump, right? I mean, look, yeah. I know we want this thing to be over with. I know we want it to be done. That we just passed the two-year mark of the Donald Trump presidency, and it feels like it's been an eternity. But these things take time. Yeah. These things take yeah. time. And but, it's drip, 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 drip. And it has a bit, it's been a two-year drip. Yeah. And uh, uh, m- m- let me tell you what I believe. First of all, I, I trust the people of BuzzFeed. I trust Ben Smith, the lawyers, the, uh, I don't know Anthony Cormier, but we know a lot of the people from BuzzFeed. They're guests on our show. Uh, number one, I trust them. Number two, I totally believe that Donald Trump is capable of telling Michael Cohen to lie. He's, he's he lies all the time. <laughs> the he most, lies all the time. That's the most believable thing I've heard all year. And we'll learn more on February seven. And I bet you on February seven, after Michael Cohen testifies, people will say, "Hey, Buzzfeed was right all along." You watch. I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so um, Donald Trump, of course, said, uh, <laughs> "Of course." This is very funny because what happened here is Donald Trump has to attack BuzzFeed. At the same time, he's forced to, for the first time ever, to say something nice about Robert Mueller. It's a total phony story, and I appreciate the special counsel coming out with a statement last night. I think it was very appropriate that they did so. I very much appreciate that. Yeah, right. So what he's saying is, you can't believe BuzzFeed, but you can believe everything Robert Mueller says. Yeah, we'll have to remember that clip. For yes, later. remember that clip. Meanwhile, uh, the president, why? Who the hell knows? But he still sends Rudy Giuliani out there to defend him. And every time Rudy opens his mouth, he makes things worse. I mean, he is so bad. Uh, so yesterday he has to do all the morning shows. So um, first of all, he says, as far as BuzzFeed goes, here's where yeah, yeah, those bastards ought to be sued. BuzzFeed published a story yeah. that was scandalous. It was horrible. Oh, oh, so they should be God. under under. They should be sued. They should be under investigation. Oh, bless my soul! It was scandalous. And so, well, let's get to it. Did he or did he not? Talk to Michael Cohen before Cohen testified in front of Congress. As far as I know, President Trump oh. did not have discussions with him, certainly had no discussions with him in which he told him or counseled Ooh, him to oh. lie. 
if if he had oh. any discussions mm. with him, they'd be about the version of the oh. events that Michael Cohen gave then, which they all believe was true. It's not a denial. So as far as That's I know, he didn't. But then, they, of course, they would talk. But as, you know, if they did talk, I mean, you can see he's, yeah, it's not a denial at all, right? And so, and then he goes on, then he jumped over to meet the press across town, and he says, well, the talks about the Russian um, this project in Moscow, uh, yeah, they went on um, longer than you thought. Our understanding that, it, that they went on throughout 2016, weren't a lot of them, but there were conversations. Can't be sure of the exact dates, but the president can remember having conversations with him about it. Throughout 2016. Yeah, probably up to could be up to as far as October, November. Whoa, whoa. Donald Trump said that the deal, they, that they was making no deal, had nothing gone on with Russia, remember? I know we got to move along here, but this is important. He has said all during the campaign, he had no business dealings at all with Russia. Mike, Rudy Giuliani just said they were talking about the Trump Tower in Moscow until November 16. As the New York Times points out this morning, this means Trump was seeking a deal at the same time as a candidate. He was calling for an end to economic sanctions against Russia imposed by the Obama administration. He was seeking a deal when he gave interviews questioning the legitimacy of NATO. And he was seeking a deal when he called on Russia to release those hacked Democratic emails. He was seeking a deal the whole time he was kissing Vladimir Putin's butt during the campaign and praising him as a strong leader. You know, also, you know what else? He was talking to Russia about a hotel deal during the whole time. And you know the bottom line, what that means? Donald Trump never expected to be elected president. It was all about business deals. That's what it was all about. Oh, man, we're just getting started here. On a Monday, January 21, Niels Lesniewski from Roll Call picks it up right there, uh, helping us through some of the more, some more of the news of the day. Uh, so, uh, quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Monday, January twenty-one. A little bit of breaking news uh, during the break here. Um, the field is getting crowded, <laughs> more and more crowded every time we turn around. And during the break. Senator Kamala Harris from California announced that she is indeed, uh, no surprise here, running for president of the United States. Uh, she has a new book out. She's been doing a couple of, uh, just about a week of a book tour. But on Good Morning America this morning, she uh, jumped into the pond and um, joining so far uh, Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Tulsi Gabbard. That's four women so far. Uh, who are seeking the Democratic nomination, Kamala Harris, former uh, attorney general, of course, of California, and former um, uh, and now United States senator from California. Interesting, California senior senator Dianne Feinstein has already said she would support Joe Biden uh, if he runs. Uh, will um, uh, the senator was on GMA again this morning and also put out a social media video as we hear more about her plans and her statement this morning. Uh, we will bring that uh, to you. Uh, and it's good to see you here as we join you from our studio on Capitol Hill all across this great land of ours with the news of the day. And uh, welcoming to the studio, our good friend from Roll Call, Niels Lesniewski, senior Senate, uh, re, pro, re, senior Senate reporter. 
so um, I want to get to those comments in just a second. But Neil, this is another member of the Senate. You're gonna if if members of the Senate had to step down while they're running for president, you couldn't get a quorum. Well, you'd get a quorum, but there'd be so many Republicans that Mitch McConnell could oh, do anything he wants. That's right. All the Democrats <laughs> would have to be taking a break because uh, there's a whole list. Let's, we'll get to more of those uh, Democratic senators who are either in or thinking of jumping in. Uh, meanwhile, comments so far? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter, at BP Show. Several comments already. David says, this is a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but I see it. Uh, I bet, this is what David says, I bet Don Jr. told Cohen to lie, saying to Cohen that the old man wanted him to lie. Emails and texts from Don Jr. might back that up. That could explain the special counsel office's subtle dispute of the BuzzFeed story. Uh that's that's not an impossible thing. I don't think it's impossible at all. No, no. Uh, also, Resistance Stevie says, don't forget Michael Cohen has recordings of Trump. Maybe that's what the source of the BuzzFeed <laughs> article meant. Yeah, Which, we again, have... the, the, the special that... conference office would not have disputed that. Uh, that, uh, that, yeah, that tape of Trump uh, about the payment to Stormy Daniels through the phony, um, you know, uh, whatever corporation that Michael Cohen formed for that purpose. Yeah, that, that that tape is still out there. We remember it well. And we talked about the Super Bowl is coming up. Larry Carnes, echoing what you said, Bill, the TSA and air traffic controllers should stay home on Super Bowl weekend. That would absolutely make the point. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show. All right. Yeah, thank you all for those comments. We really appreciate them. Keep it coming on uh, Twitter uh, at BP Show. Um, so, Niels, this is uh, so, just Kamala Harris throwing us off track here just a little bit. But you've got so far, let's see, Kirsten Gillibrand's in. Yes. Sherrod Brown is on his listening tour. Let's, yes, listening tour. Uh, Cory Booker, can't, Kamala Harris is in. Uh, Cory Booker can't be far behind. No, and I, I think he may be in South Carolina today or somewhere. Oh. He's in. He's in. He's out. Just visiting folks in yeah. oh, certain right. states, you know. Okay. And then on top of them, uh, of course, Bernie Sanders. Yes. Independent, but running as a Democrat, uh, will be in for sure, I believe. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then um, Sheldon Whitehouse is talking about it. Uh, Amy Jeff, Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, Jeff Merkley yes. talking about it. So we're already up to, what, eight or nine, huh? Yeah, and it'll it'll just be fascinating to see whether or not um, there's any of them who decide not to run. If there's if there's one person who gets a bigger sort of bang for their buck by not by saying, you know what, the field's crowded enough, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's going to be it, it's going to be remarkable from, from from my perspective to see. Sort of, and and we've had this in the past on the uh, Republican side to some extent with Cruz and Rubio and that whole gang in in 2016. Uh, but it's it's going to be fascinating to see how they tend try and differentiate themselves when, you know, in reality, there's very few things in their actual voting records as senators that look very different from one another. So that's going to be the. Uh, the, it's going to be more personality differences than substance differences, I think. No, I think you're right. Um, and um, that's why one of the issues that was raised this weekend, um, 
and Tulsi Gabbard to a certain extent, but um, we're talking about yeah. Senate candidates now, with Kirsten Gillibrand as she went to Iowa. And it seemed almost like an apology tour where she was saying, yeah, when I first was in public office, I was, you know, I bragged about how close I was to the NRA. I said a lot of anti-immigrant stuff. But that was then. This is now. I'm born again. I'm a born again progressive. I some of the other senators saying, you know, you don't have to settle for a born again progressive. Again, they won't no, differ I, that much on the issues today, but they'll be, they'll be saying, but I've always been there, and she's a Johnny uh, Jane come lately. I, you know, I think that's absolutely uh, going to be if if Gillibrand gets steam, that's absolutely going to be the most sort of logical attack. And and for your viewers who who and listeners who might not know, I think most people probably do, but for people who don't remember the history of the uh, the emergence of of Gillibrand. Uh, she was a House member representing an upstate New York district, a sort of marginal swing seat uh, outside yeah. of Troy, New York, and then was appointed to fill the Senate seat vacated by uh, Hillary Clinton's resignation mm -hmm. by David Patterson, who was this, you know, the short term in replacement governor who became governor because Elliot because Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer, yeah. And so 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 Gillibrand sort of appeared and there were stories even at the time that I'm sure are going to be rehashed a number of times about what positions she may have had to commit to changing because Patterson's a New York City politician. Right. What positions she may have had to commit to changing just to get the Senate seat. Uh, right. So that's that. I'm sure that'll we'll all go through that again. Now I remember all those questions at the time, like who Kirsten, who Gillibrand, who right, and uh, who is she, and what does she stand for? And there were a lot of eyebrows raised about that, that that uh, that that selection. Uh, so the story of the day, uh, two two big. Well, there's so many big stories of the day, but one <laughs> of the big stories of the day uh, certainly is the deal that Donald Trump proposed from the White House. Um, on Saturday, uh, Mike Pence, uh, recognizing the importance and significance of this weekend and of this day, uh, actually went so far as to, well, here's Mike Pence yesterday um, referencing Martin Luther King Day. The hearts and minds of the American people today are thinking a lot about it being the weekend where we remember the life and work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. King was, now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. You think of how he changed America. He inspired us to change through the legislative process to become a more perfect union. That's exactly what President Trump is calling on the Congress to do. Yes, so our great leader who uh, pushed so hard for the Civil Rights Act and for the Voting Rights Act would today be supporting Donald Trump's wall. How low can you go? I mean, it's just disgusting, Mike Pence, anyhow. That, yeah. the, the, pulling, on it, pulling out any straw they can. You know, the, the, this uh, proposal that went on the that sort of was thrown onto the table officially on Saturday afternoon uh, by President Trump. Uh, if you're going to look at it from the the side of the Democrats, I think you have to wonder what to come back with, if anything. So it's already clear uh, Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, 
everybody else have made clear that this that this proposal for three years of of relief for the DACA uh, recipients, they're not even, you know, children is kind of a loose term at this point because some of them aren't really even children anymore. Um, But if you, that three years of relief in exchange for a permanent wall is not going to be a deal that they're going to be likely to agree to. Uh, So the question becomes, how much of this is either the White House or maybe McConnell pushing the White House, which is what it sounds like is happening here, is sort of the opening in an actual negotiation. Because you may not like what Trump proposed on Saturday, but you can actually see where that's the starting point for a a discussion in a way that none of the previous offers were. So You you said something very interesting there that – Mitch McConnell so far has has been has absented himself from the from any yes. negotiations saying when Donald Trump tells me he'll support something then we'll have a vote for it. What you're suggesting here now is that Donald that Mitch McConnell may have told Donald Trump you got to do something boy, guy you know you got to do something here and push them to make at least some put something on the table. Right. Yeah, that that I mean that that is That's my that is my reporting from what actually happened Wednesday night and Thursday. Uh, okay. McConnell, yeah. uh, McConnell and Trump spoke, uh, and then Jared Kushner and Mike Pence showed right. up at the Capitol Thursday evening. Yeah, and my understanding of all of those conversations was. McConnell basically saying after the whole back and forth about the State of the Union address being canceled and then this issue with the airplane, with the Pelosi airplane being pulled back, that McConnell went to Trump and basically said, you've got to put something on the table because there's no way that Pelosi is going to put anything on the table now. Does that indicate that McConnell was really feeling the pressure from his Republican members not to hang us out to dry? Uh, I think there there may be there may be some of that, uh, and the we other know thing. Four Republicans had come forward, yes. but only four. Right, but even if and even, it's it's some it could be some of that, but the other thing could be, I mean, McConnell may have been looking at the same picture as a lot of other people and saying, where is this end? I mean, this could get go on for months. Remember, for McConnell, his calculation this year and next year is. Uh, among other things, he's up for re-election. So he's he has this odd situation where a Trump, a very pro-Trumpian primary challenger could emerge if McConnell is not sufficiently supporting the president. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> so far, if I'm correct, not one single Democrat has come forward to say, yeah, what the president put forward is a pretty good deal. We ought to go for it. No. Right. Yeah, none. All right. So McConnell uh, and the president said this on Saturday. Which I think gives validity to your theory, yep. that the two of them were talking, that this is they cooked this up together, that McConnell has promised to hold a vote this week, and I'm told, I've reported it's been reported tomorrow because they're out off today. Right. Uh, does he have the votes? No. No, there, there's there's no way that this thing, as written, is going to is get going to get 60, 60 votes. votes in the Senate. So. You'll have inevitably we'll have this dance about, well, they should change the rules of the Senate. We'll probably get Trump tweets Wednesday morning. If the votes tomorrow, we'll probably have Trump tweets Wednesday morning about needing to change the Senate rules. And then McConnell will say no. And then we can go on to whatever the next offer is. But this 
this week ahead uh, looks like sort of the the show vote stage, which we had have not actually had yet on the Senate side. We've had Pelosi putting all these things through the House, but we've not actually done it in the Senate. Yet. Will he schedule a vote on any of the bills that have passed the House? Uh, I don't foresee that. But the catch is, is that the this is going to get a little overly technical, uh, but they actually will need to they're actually going to attempt to attach this wall money uh, I, to, to the House bill. Yeah, I, I see. And then right. kick it back, kick it back. Um, meanwhile, um, Speaker Pelosi has said, I think that there are six bills that the House is going to pass or at least vote on this week, which will, again, reopen the government agency by agency by agency, right? Yes. No money for the wall. That's right. And and so they will, they will, they are sending the Senate every different sort of array of, um, it's like a takeout menu of some sort where it's like, yeah. pick any of these options to reopen the government. We can use the Senate passed bill from last year. We can use this House bill, we can use just a continuing resolution through the end of February. Basically, whatever it is that you want to do, the House is amenable to something that opens the government but does not fund the wall. As I understand it, the bottom line of the Democrats is both Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, who, by the way, are a team in this. I mean, it was reported again over the weekend, I think, on Politico, or maybe you reported that, that Donald Trump invited Chuck Schumer by himself to come down to the White House and meet and Chuck said no I'll come but only if I can come with if only the two of us together right you're not going to pick us off yeah and, and, and try to pit us against each other that that has them. been their strategy and it seems like so, it'll work much better as long as they keep right doing that right and the uh, so again I started to say as I understand their position is simply open the government then we'll talk right None of this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then we promise to open the government. No. Open the government first, then we'll talk. Right, which leads to Which credent- Trump will never do. Well, that is, that well, is probably- Well, never is. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Never's, yeah. never's a long yeah, time. Right. But but I don't, I, I sort of expect <laughs> that what may end up actually happening is, and I don't know for sure, but- because now we're in the speculative, we're a month into a government shutdown and no one seems to know what's going on at all. But at the risk of speculating on what uh, may happen is that yields to the credence of a short term spending bill, which would put us right back here. And I don't know, I'll pick a date, March 15th, right? That say, that say, okay, President Trump has now made an offer. Uh, we're going to counter his offer. And as part of countering, his, we're happy to counter his offer and discuss this, but let's open the government for a month or two while we negotiate over whatever we're pretending to negotiate over. Well, of course, that, you know, that appeals to people, to this crowd, because that's all, they, they, that's all they've ever done for the last few years is short-term spending deals, right? Yes. Six months, three months, kind of whatever, whatever it is. Um, and meantime... We should point out that this, unless they resolve this by tomorrow, which they will not because nobody's working today, um, that there'll be no paycheck on Friday. Right. So this will be the second paycheck 
missed. Yes, and by I and, federal employees. And here's and here's another little sidebar of it. I'll throw in because I just realized today is January twenty first. So today was the deadline for having this resolved. This is not as important as the paychecks, but it's another whole can of worms, so to speak. Today was the deadline. Otherwise, the federal government does not send all of the federal employees money to their metro cards oh. in the in the DC area. And yeah. so the metro, the transit system you, here in Washington. Yeah, you've written about this. Yeah, right. is losing $400,000 a day oh, and it's yikes. going to get worse. Yeah. Right. The, the, this is the subsidies, if you will, that, that come to federal employees, right? Right, to incentivize them to use the metro system them. instead of driving their own cars. Right. By the way, and and add to that the impact on the restaurants, the coffee shops, the barber shops, everything around that, that are, you know, um, who depend on federal yes. employees Look, it, as their customer base. Anybody that commutes in the D.C. area has noticed yeah. uh, traffic is not that bad. No. Traffic right. is not that bad during rush hour or in the mornings we come in very early. There's there's obviously some traffic, but way less than usual. There have been uh, not as many stories as I thought on the impact now, your, your story about the Metro, that's one definite yes. impact. There's a story this morning about, Peter, remember that, what is it called, Home Country, the um, Country West uh, Barbecue Place downtown. Oh, Hill Country. Hill, Hill Country, country. Yeah, not Hill Home Country. country. Yeah, Hill yeah, yeah. Country. Like, way, way down. Their business with federal employees. Yeah. Downtown. Um, but there was another restaurant there, Carmen's, where they were serving free lunch. You came in and showed a federal employee, and then you got Jose Andres' kitchen, yes. which can't keep up with all the new man from federal employees. Um, Chris Van Cleve on CBS News the other night did a story about the National Transportation Safety Board, right? They're the ones who investigate yeah, serious, accidents, serious accidents, plane crashes, you know, highway accidents. There, there are 74 serious accidents in the last 30 days that they have, there are no federal inspectors. So, and they go into state after state and take over that investigation, 74 of them that, that, that were states have called and they say, sorry, everybody, nobody's working. Whenever this ends, there's going to have to be a bigger Huge. conversation about, yeah. okay, what exactly is essential? Because if right. if the IRS employees who are being called back to process tax returns are essential, then how are the NTSB inspectors not, ins- not, not essential? Uh, right. Uh, we know that I uh, mentioned earlier uh, in Atlanta, 8% of TSA employees yesterday called in s- sick, didn't come to right. work at any rate, 8%. Um, I don't know whether you saw Saturday Night Live in the open. They were talking about some of the different prizes they were giving out, and they showed one pack of like packaged meat, and it was green. And then the guy said, well, it's not supposed to be green, but the food inspectors aren't working, so this one got through. No, I mean, there's some serious... Mm-hmm. Uh, impacts. How long is it going to last? I, I'll i say Valentine's Day. Whoa. There you go. There it is. A man who, uh, who knows how the Senate works. It'll take him that long. But So why aren't there riots in the streets? <laughs> you know? We should start one, maybe. We, I mean, people should be more angry about what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, I mean seriously, that the Pennsylvania Avenue in front of the White House will be clogged every day.
And we know Donald Trump, though, is not doing it. There is not one event on his schedule today. Martin Luther King Day, George Bush, Barack Obama, they always did some public service work, right? Nothing on. So he'll be tweeting. Yesterday, on day 30 of the uh, Trump shutdown, Donald Trump tweeted 40 tweets, 40 times yesterday. So you got to admit, man, he, he must have been so tired at the end of the day. Mm. Little fingers are just <laughs> little blisters on them, right, from so many <laughs> tweets. God. God knows how many we'll have today. How many have we had so far? I haven't even checked. Niels Lasuski, nice to see you, my friend. Thank um, you. And um, you can follow Niels at Roll Call, rollcall.com. When we come back, Graham Weiss from uh, Governing Magazine now joins us here in studio. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thanks again, Niels. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump's got a deal. You give me everything I want and I'll give you nothing. (laughs) Yeah, the big deal maker. No way, Jose. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a Monday. Monday, January 21, here we are. It is the Bill Press Show, and you are welcome to it. You make up the show for a large part, all of our listeners and viewers all across this great land of ours, and uh, boy, we have such a busy day today, we're never going to get to all of it today. It is, uh, there's too many big stories. I mean, yes, the shutdown, day 31. Yes, the phony deal that Donald Trump offered to end the shutdown. Yes, Michael Cohen saying Donald Trump asked him to rig some polls during the campaign and BuzzFeed reporting that Donald Trump also told Michael Cohen to lie to Congress about the negotiations they were having in Moscow uh, over the new Trump Tower. Rudy Giuliani denied, well, first of all, the special counsel said, "Hmm, maybe yes, maybe no, we're not going to confirm that. But Rudy Giuliani denying that Michael Cohen, that Donald Trump told Michael Cohen to lie, still says, yeah, but they did talk about it and they probably were talking about a hotel deal, Trump Tower deal in Moscow through November 2016 when Donald Trump was praising Vladimir Putin and running for president of the United States. Oh, my God. So much to get into and we will, with your help again and your comments on Twitter, Uh, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Hey, Bill, it's cold out there. 
It's the cold way, out there, man. 14 degrees. 14 degrees. When I came in this morning, 14 degrees. Well, there is a deadly winter storm that has covered a large part of the country with both snow and rain and just pummeled with wind over the weekend. More than 74 million Americans are under wind chill advisories. They are saying this will be the, quote, coldest air of the season. Mm. It's, again, it's not just about the snow and the rain that a lot of uh, places are getting and the cold temperatures. It's the wind. New York is under a wind advisory through tomorrow. They're saying wind gusts are expected to reach 50 miles per hour. Uh, and in Boston, with the wind chill, temperatures feel as low as Minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. That's how yeah. cold it feels in Boston. Yeah. So. I mean, the, the wind here, too, is just. The wind was bad last yeah. night. The yeah. wind was really bad last night, uh, which would lead into my next story. Because right. if you were up late last night to try and see the super blood moon, you were have you were going to have to really bundle up. Now, I was woken up around midnight by the children in my house waking up, bundling up, and taking the dog out to go get a look at the super blood moon. It was not only a super moon, it was a blood yeah. moon. Did you see it? I, I didn't go out and see it because it's too cold out, man. Did I wasn't going to get up it? out of bed. The kids went out and saw it, yes. They did see it. Yeah, they, they made all kinds of commotion. They got outside and they saw it last night. They took a picture of it, which looks terrible. I, everybody that takes pictures of the super blood yeah. moon with your phone, they don't look that great. But there are great pictures you can find online if you did not stay up to see it. it. It really, it's just a red moon. It's kind of terrifying. Super yeah. up close. You know, I missed it because, uh, first of all, I thought it was just going to be, it was overcast all day. Yeah, it was. So I just assumed that we wouldn't be able to see it. Yeah. Hmm. By the way. Uh, well, the, what's it coming back, 100 years? Yeah, yeah. You just give it another couple I'll, of ge I'll several generations. I'll see yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you taken part in the 10-year challenge, Bill? What's that? So there's a, this is a viral social media thing where people are posting pictures of themselves 10 years ago compared to how they look now. And it's to show this is how much I've aged or this is how good I still look or whatever. But here's the thing. There are people who are wondering, maybe they are collecting all of this information for facial recognition software. You know, the new iPhones, they yeah, open up with Face yeah, ID. Right. A lot of stuff is facial recognition. This could be just one giant experiment to gather all of our information. I look better today than I did 10 years ago. Yeah, hell yeah, me too, man. <clears throat> this is the Bill Press Show. <laughs> Sorry. Well, the field's getting more and more crowded every day. Yes, we have a new contender for 2020. Just about a half an hour ago, Kamala Harris on Good Morning America. Senator, I should say, Senator Kamala Harris from California, saying she is indeed so much for her uh, exploratory committee <laughs> or listening tour or book tour. Uh-uh. She has jumped right in, uh, joining so far Elizabeth Warren and uh, John Delaney and Sherrod Brown on a listening tour. Uh, and Kirsten Gillibrand. Kirsten Gillibrand. <laughs> And Richard Ojeda from West Virginia. So, uh, And there will be more and more and more. Hello, everybody. On this Monday, January 21, good to see you. It is the Bill Press Show. And we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day joining you online, on YouTube, on the radio. Thanks for, so much for being with us. 
uh, and uh, join me in saying hello to our good friend from Governing Magazine, Graham Vise. Hello, Graham. Nice to see you. Hello, Bill. Nice About to see you. About it. Here we go. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> Every, every time you turn around, there's another Democrat popping in. I mean, I literally just heard the the Kamala Harris news because, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, it, it seems like no surprise. No, no surprise. Uh, she she had done several media appearances recently where she was sort of teasing it and saying, uh, you know, I'll have some news soon. So I guess she was telling the truth. People are saying that this is the next Barack Obama. She's only been a senator for two years, as was he from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the people saying. Well, what does she know? She doesn't have any experience. She says, "Hey, work for Obama." And if Come I work for me, former Attorney General That's of right. uh, of uh, California, yeah. Um, I, I'm just going to put this out there because uh, I, I know that her opponent certainly will. Uh, she's very exciting. She's done a great job with questioning uh, witnesses mm-hmm. in, in her yep. role yep. Uh, on the Senate. Uh, but if you look at her history. And some of the stances that she has taken, including her support of the death penalty, uh, she's got some questions to answer. Yeah. She's got some questions to answer. I think uh, yes, uh, yeah, as does Kirsten Gillibrand. As do a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> yes. a, a lot of them have yeah. major problems. That's yeah. why but, it's good to have so many candidates. We'll have so many to choose from. This right. is this is one of the things that, that you say. It's like, look, these Democratic politicians that want to be president have to make the case. This is why I'm better than all of these other high-profile Democrats running for the nomination to beat Donald Trump. That it should be to beat Donald Trump, but they're also good. I mean, yeah, a lot of them yeah. have problematic stances in their past. They right. just do. And it'll be interesting to see, I mean, uh, sort of how much th- that history ends up factoring into her uh, success or, or or lack thereof, you know, relative to sort of the, the you know, inspirational kind of um, appealing, you know, the sort of intangible qualities and how she presents herself as a candidate. I mean, it's 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 interesting. I mean, the the uh, I mean, Gillibrand is another example of someone who, um, you know, quite publicly did a kind of 180 on a bunch of issues when she moved from being a oh, yeah. conservative House member in upstate New York to being the senator statewide. Um, but I think you know, in many quarters, she's now regarded as sort of a leading progressive in the Senate. So, um, you know, it, it's a. I think Peter raises a bunch of good questions. We'll we'll have to see essentially what the base ends up caring about. I I think I mentioned this in the last half hour, and we're by, by the way in the next half hour, Leah Escaranam from uh, um, Inside Elections. Inside Elections. Sorry, um, we'll be talking specifically 2020. But I think uh, with that crowded field. Um, the one question is going to be, because um, they're not, they're not going to differ that much on where they stand on the issues today, mm-hmm. but I think one question is going to be, why take a born-again progressive when I've been a progressive all my life? Right. I and mean, I, Elizabeth Warren sure. is not going to be out there apologizing for things that she said no. back then. Right. No. And Neither will Bernie say? I was going to say. I mean, we're sort of still, I guess, waiting right. to see what he's going to do. But but if he gets in, he'll make the same case, and and he can also make yeah. the case sort of that. Uh, I've been thinking about this for since 2016. He can sort of argue we we didn't run this experiment. We did that. We, we we ultimately chose Hillary Clinton. Let's run the experiment of you know having me be the be the candidate, someone who is unapologetically, boldly a democratic socialist for years. You know, and 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 you know people. We say, well, 
tell Bernie, uh, you know, he ran in 2016, this will be divisive. That's probably true. But I also think, you know, we, we actually don't know, you know, if he would have won. So 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 that he's I'm sure he'll 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 say that if he if he jumps in. Yeah. I mean, you can hear it. Hear it. Uh, I didn't have to learn that Medicare for all was a good idea. I've always been for Medicare sure. for all. I didn't have to learn that reigning in the NRA and having some sensible gun safety laws was a good idea. I've always been there. And you can go right down the list. I didn't have to learn that equal rights for LGBTQ Americans was a good idea. I've always supported them, you know. So right. boom, boom, boom. That's uh, It's going to be uh, more and more. The question is, who gets in next? I right. don't know. But it certainly does seem, Corey you know, they're, Booker, maybe. they're piling up. You know, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, we're, we're well, really cooking here. Yeah, but we're not into double digits no, yet. No, no. No. Um, anyhow, it's good to see you, Good sir. to see you, too. Yeah, you know, now, maybe one transition, because for governing, you're looking particularly at state and local uh, issues and their impact on the, on the national policy. Mm-hmm. But it, it is that I find it interesting that this, the focus for 2020 among Democrats so far has been very Senate-centric, if I can coin a mm. word, as opposed to governor-centric, which it has been in the past. Mm. Now, there are a couple of exceptions. Jay Inslee. That's right. Uh, governor Jerry Brown, former now Governor Jerry Brown, spent last Thursday or Friday in Seattle with Jay Inslee talking mm-hmm. climate change. Mm-hmm. So Jay Inslee and then John Hickenlooper, in former now governor of Colorado, they're the only two, I think, among the governors. Now, yeah, if if yeah. Andy Gillum had won, Andrew Gillum That's had right. won, that would have been a difference yeah. if Stacey Abrams had won. Right. And even some folks who would have been long shots to begin with, you know, someone like Andrew Cuomo, who I think since I've been on the show, has said he's not he's not going to uh, jump in. So, um, it's, Good. It's, well, that's what he said he was not going to jump in, but nobody had ever asked him. Well, to. exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. No, I mean, no, I mean was, I'm sure, right. He was not on anybody's yes. list. But he did, I, I, he did talk about it or he did, there was, there was a yeah, sense he that did. he was looking at yeah. it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it, it, it really has been. Um, why is that? Well, I wonder if in part it's because you know the the presidential politics and national politics is so um you have to be a kind of nationally galvanizing figure i mean look at someone like the the uh, the success of um Beto O'Rourke, who didn't even win his election and yet is being talked about seriously as someone for 2020. And to me, that's because he demonstrated that he could, you know, sort of attract interest from Democrats all across the country for his race as a kind of charismatic figure. But the other side of that, I would look at history. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, former governors, and people like the fact that they've had some, they've run a state, right. they've had some executive experience. You right. know, it, I think that's, that's a good selling point, and, and it's done well for both parties. It's, it's that's certainly the history. I mean, I think you're you're making the right point that it, it used to be that senators were not. I mean, I, I even remember when back when uh, Barack Obama and John McCain were running, that people would make this point that isn't yeah. it kind of unusual that we have two senators right, right. as the candidates, uh, and yet uh, that certainly seems to be uh, now we have, the focus. Uh, now we were just <laughs> yeah. talking with uh, Niels Lesniewski from right, Roll Call. Right. There are seven or eight Democratic senators Absolutely. Who are probably going to plunge in. Yeah. Right? 
So um, we'll have to we'll have to keep watching. But even I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, as I've been focused on, you know, policy and sort of state level politics uh, in the states, uh, presidential contenders has not been <laughs> something we've, we've been we've been sort of focused on for, in part for the reason that you're uh, that you're articulating. So, right. um, uh, you know, and if if uh, if you're talking about a possible challenger to Donald Trump in the Republican primary. I think that's very unlikely, but former Governor John Kasich is yeah. the one to get the most talk. That's uh, right. But of course, I'm sort of ready to now move he's on. he's on CNN's <laughs> payroll. Yeah, I'm ready to move yeah. on from the John idea. Kasich? Well, from John Kasich, yes, 100%. I, yeah. I've been ready to move on from John Kasich, but I'm ready to move on from the idea that, that a Republican, a serious Republican uh, uh, primary opponent will show up. I just I mean, don't think it's going to happen. Whenever Jeff Flake talks about it, he talks about it in the, in the language of someone else should do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. N- none of them have shown any backbone yet, and they won't in 2020. And by the way, Republicans love Donald Trump. This I is mean, this just, is the smartest point. I mean, we just, I, I mean, they're not going yeah. to run somebody no. against the most popular Republican president they've seen in maybe forever. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a consensus around him among registered Republicans. You know, it seems like he, I guess there's some evidence that he's taken a hit during the shutdown, um, but it's like it, I don't believe marginal. It. I don't believe it. No, yeah. no. He 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 represents what the Republican Party always has been, but masqueraded as not being for a long time. But he's it's the true Republican Party. So, um, what what impact is the shutdown having uh, among the states? Any well impact yet? There is there is uh, there is funding, uh, you know, sort of federal funding that has affects uh, you know state agencies and state workers. I mean, obviously, we've we've seen primarily the um, the effect of of on federal uh, federal employees, but um, the longer it drags on, you know, I think there there's a there's a kind of trickle down effect. Um, and um, my colleagues have been have been following that. At uh, folks can delve into that at governing.com if they want to. Um, uh, I've been, uh, you know, the big story uh, that I've been tracking over the course of the past um, week or so is the teacher strikes, uh, which were um, sort of uh, took place in Los Angeles. And, and now we're sort of starting to see um, more places around the country where yeah, well, they started uh, before L.A. was statewide in Oklahoma. That's right. Kentucky, I think, was it? Uh, West Virginia. West Virginia. This is That's so West last Virginia. year was Arizona yeah. too. Um, Arizona, uh, yeah, and uh, and a bunch of sort of largely red states. Red states, um, right. Uh, this is last year, um, and then this year, the, this sort this of this is the biggest yet, right? That's what we, this certainly this year, Los and, Angeles. Yes, yeah. and also the other thing that's significant about it is that unlike the strikes that were go- taking place um, last year. Uh, which were in largely red states, as we just said. This is in the heart of a deep blue Democratic uh, Los Angeles, a union town uh, in a in a deep blue union state, California, uh, and and it's sort of taking place among uh, having to do with issues uh, that that in in some ways have divided Democrats uh, over the past decade. Sort of how much there should be support for charter schools, these uh, publicly funded but privately run. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say controversial uh, forms of public schools, um, which have been championed, among other people, by Betsy DeVos uh, in, in the Trump administration. Um, and and then just the same sense that I think the 
teachers in these red states had, which is that uh, the you know they're just not being paid enough, and that they have uh, you know meager pay, uh, that they have uh, in some cases in Los Angeles uh, class sizes of 30, 40 kids in a class when and that you know teachers are saying this is just untenable. You know we 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 need smaller class sizes, we need higher pay, uh, we need better working conditions, uh, and we need you know they want a, more of a focus on uh, these sort of community schools with wraparound services as opposed to what they call um, like the privatization of public schools um, in in the form of unregulated charter schools. And this strike in Los Angeles follows weeks of negotiations, right? Unsuccessful negotiations. Oh, months. I mean, I, mean, I think months, I think they yeah. were actually, if uh, you know, if you look back, it was something like 20 months. I mean, really, like, so really, that would be, you know, more than a year, you know, more than um, almost two. And and finally, they just, uh, they just were at an impasse. What I don't understand is I've seen that uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, Mayor Eric Garcetti, they all come out and support. So if all the public officials support the teachers, why can't they resolve this thing? So, so the, the sense that I have been getting is that the role that the mayor, uh, Eric Garcetti, and, and the governor, Gavin Newsom, newly elected Democratic governor, are playing is they're, they're sort of um, – seem to be trying to broker uh, a deal, you know, but they're kind of, the mayor in particular has been kind of a go-between between the two sides. I don't know that he is sort of firmly... It's a school um, district that's and right, the teachers. That's right. right. Which is, I guess, is independent, uh, you know, he's... Yeah. Of, of, which is not, that was not true in every city, but but the, but he, the, so the mayor has really been operating kind of as a... Um, you know, as someone who's like help working behind the scenes to try to help them negotiate rather than taking a firm position on on um, on either side. And the principal issues, yeah, yeah again, salary, pay, um, but, but more than that. Too, but more right? than that, you know, I think I think that the, the charter school issue, not to get too deep in the weeds, but you know, it, it, that's not actually part of the sort of at the table bargaining, but it it colors the the it sort of flavors the discussion and debate because I, I actually uh, was sort of stunned to realize that apparently Los Angeles has more of these charter schools, which again are publicly funded but privately or independently run, um, than any district in the country. You know, it's like, it's like sort of a um, proliferation of these schools. There. Are there stirrings of uh, teacher strikes in other large cities or states? There are indeed. Um, so uh, last the end of last week, um, there was a, a, a walkout um, on Friday in Oakland, California, mm-hmm. um, and teachers there are sort of threatening uh, a strike again over over um, similar issues. And then beyond California, um, there are um, s- strikes that are planned in um, in Virginia. Not 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 a strike plan in Virginia, but sort of a uh, march on Richmond at the end of this month. The sort of big mass um, um, protest there. Um, in Chicago, uh, they are contemplating this, uh, and in Indiana, again, you can hear from that a couple of red states mm-hmm. um, uh, where if if it's not a full strike that they are um, contemplating, you know, in part because in many of these states it's it's not legal to you know, they don't have the right to strike. Um, in a place like Virginia, uh, not that that has always stopped. Um, teachers from these wildcat strikes, but um, but the point is that there's a kind of sense of 
uh, unrest, you know, up, teacher uprisings, you know, whether whatever form it takes, like you, uh, I'd mentioned on Friday, sort of the idea of a walkout. Um, you know, I think in Virginia, when they have their march on Richmond um, later this month, the, the plan is not is to sort of take leave from school. You know, it's not an official walkout, but it's all it's trickling into, you know, state after state across the country, blue and red, because mm-hmm. there's a sense that, um, you know, again, it was interesting to, to learn about this, that, you know, in after the recession, uh, there was a huge um, sort of across the country states cutting funding to schools, you know, in the economic hard times. And so it's sort of like this is the the final result of just years and years of states cutting funding and then some of them have restored it but there's just it's sort of like some of them haven't you know and and or not not fully to to pre-recession uh levels and so you know it's just after a decade of teachers being frustrated with uh you know with the lack of investment and and the lack of you know quality working conditions you know we've done this show long enough to know that there's been a quite some time that democrats did not have a clear message and a clear voice on defending government and defending their policies, right? I think a lot of it got just completely taken for granted and they didn't fight for it and they didn't speak up about it. And these teachers are putting it into practice in a way that no democratic politician has been able to do it, has been able to do yet and say, look, all these terrible tax cuts that you're hearing these Republicans Mm -hmm. give this Republican legislatures give to millionaires and billionaires in their state, that does trickle down. It trickles down in the sense that (laughs) the tax dollars are not being created to pay us. There is a giant hole in the budget. That's what I mean. That's uh, that's what I should have said. Yes, support schools in general, not just to make sure that the teachers get paid and are fat and happy. That's not the issue. It's the issue that our schools are failing, and it's a a big reason why is because we don't have the tax dollars, because these... Millionaires and billionaires <laughs> aren't paying their fair share. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, and you hear this in reflected in the rhetoric. I mean, Jim Livingston, who's the president of the Virginia Education Association, he said, "What we've seen across the country is teachers sick and tired of being sick and tired." Randy Weingarten, who I know is a friend of the show, um, you know, has um, you know, I talked to her, and you know, she basically said, "Despair is no longer a strategy." You know, we're just we're tired of of being sad about it, being frustrated. Um, you know, she said. Uh, they want to have the conditions they need to teach kids, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's the message, and um, and she's been uh, she was out there, I think, at the, at the beginning of last week, uh, you know, along with the teachers in in Los Angeles, and and uh, you know, she. Although there does one thing she said to me that was interesting is she does seem to think that the politics in the National Democratic Party are changing on these issues, where where ten years ago there was more of a focus on these sort of um, charter schools and sort of having more market forces and competition in uh, education. And, and I think I think, um, you know, most of the Democrats that, um, you know, ha- have been coming out uh, either have been supporting the teachers or, uh, you know, certainly haven't been opposed to their striking. Um. Yeah. Let me just uh, make a point that and from California, being from California right. uh, and I should be um, asking you what you think about that <laughs> and former Democratic chair of California. And also former longtime talk show host in uh, Los Angeles, that there's no more powerful force in California than the teachers union. Mm-hmm. Among among it, you're right. It's a union state among all the 
unions there that have a very strong presence. Uh, nobody's stronger or more politically powerful than the teachers' union statewide uh, and in um, Los Angeles. Interesting a little sign of that. Uh, Antonio Villaraigosa, who was candidate for governor uh, in uh, last year, lost to Gavin Newsom. Uh, but Antonio, former mayor of Los Angeles, started out as a political director for the United Teachers of Los Angeles. And just to- when I knew him, right, uh, and actually tried to hire him to run a campaign <laughs> of mine, uh, and there was no more again, no more powerful force. The last big teacher strike in Los Angeles that I remember was 1989. Yes, uh, and I still have a T-shirt. I walked the line in '89. Yeah. Uh, there were some. Those teachers. There's yeah, some yeah. Uh, some uh, folks who were on the line in uh, last week who who also had those t-shirts of having been walk, there. Walk the line. Yeah, yeah. '89. Um, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. You would know better than I was. Wasn't it uh, the teachers' union that Arnold Schwarzenegger went up against when he was governor of California, and well, they just completely knocked him down? I, I think that might have been the nurses because I just. Oh, it was the nurses. Yeah, it yeah. was. You're right. Yeah, you're right. right. It was the nurses. Them. And speaking of unions, you have written about uh, another force that has raised its ugly head again, uh, and that is ALEC. Yes. ALEC, uh, another Koch brothers operation. We all know them as the American Legislative Exchange Council, which are basically a, a, a copying machine, right? They Xerox off bad laws and then send them out to 50 states and find right. somebody the, in the, each state who will introduce the same. So some of the voter suppression bills all came out of ALEC and the Koch brothers. What are they doing now vis-a-vis unions? So the phrase you hear is bill mill, right? This idea that they, yeah, they turn out good, these yeah. these these, yeah. Uh, these pieces of yeah. conservative legislation. They do. Um, and, Some and, legislators don't even bother to take the name Alec <laughs> off the top of the memo right. they get, well, right? I mean, they're proud. Many of them that yeah. I've met, are they, they believe strongly in what Alec believes, and so they're happy to take up the charge. But uh, the quickly, the, 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 the deal on Alec now is that in the wake of the Janus decision, which was obviously a, a huge uh, sort of um, victory for uh, anti-union Forces. Uh, uh, I actually covered their recent uh, Alex recent the conference. Public employees, um, if you recall. Right. That's right. Um, uh, I covered Alex recent conference here in Washington D.C. where Mark Janis got up and was sort of greeted as a conquering hero uh, at this at this conference, uh, having you know gotten that result at the Supreme Court. And now the, the they are sending out uh, you know these legislators um, back to their states uh, to to sort of. Uh, you know, pursue sort of ways to capitalize uh, further on the kind of um, anti-union, um, you know, uh, what they call worker freedom uh, legislation uh, in the in the state uh, at the state level, and um, you know, there there are you know, sort of bills that would. Um, you know, having to do with them and have to look up the the, 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 the clear details, but essentially, you know, um, more uh, further ability for workers not to participate in, uh, you know, in the bargaining unit, not to be, you know, to sort of opt out of, yeah. of, 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 of their union. And it, and it's, it, but the, the point is that they, they feel uh, they were celebrating and feel really good about the decision. And then they're now looking for ways to... F- you know, erode the power of unions. Yeah, in the we've States. talked about it here before. I mean, my translation, if you will, or my sorry, of the Janus decision and the case that was brought uh, again with the support of the Koch brothers and Alec, that that now they're trying to get um, um, to even go beyond that, was that as a union member, you could, you didn't have to pay your dues, but you would still get all the stuff that the union provides and fights for for free. Um, you just you could. 
take advantage of everything the union uh, had won for you, whether it's um, the level of pay or the amount of vacation you get or the health benefits you get <coughs> or the retirement benefits you get. You get it all, but you don't have to pay your dues because you say you don't believe in the union. It basically, uh, I think, creates an entire class of freeloaders uh, and undermines the strength of the unions, which is their purpose because, for the most part, the unions support Democratic candidates, not exclusively, right. and um, uh, support Democratic policies. And so uh, they do that because the Democrats support the unions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's anyhow. Uh, but the Koch brothers have long been, um, their goal have been out to... Uh, uh, to destroy the unions, and right. this is the latest impact on it. Once one speaker said there are 23 states right now where private sector unions can still get workers fired for not paying them. We can't lose sight of the fact that we need right to work in those states as well. So again, they're they're pushing right to work, uh, you know, in states across the country, you know, for so it, it, it's it's it, they they've got a long <laughs> a long list of stuff they're they're still fighting for, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, not certainly not content just with the Janus decision. As my union friends sum it up. Uh, the right to work for less money uh, and fewer benefits. That's what they offer you. Right? That's right. You, know, you got a lot. Of, you have big territory there. All fifty states to cover. Right? <laughs> it's it's true. But but it, you know the teacher strike is a good example though of sometimes you do see a trend where th- this is something that evidently is happening in blue states and red states all across the country. All right. Uh, if you find any more governors thinking of running for president, Republicans or Democrats, <laughs> Republican or Democrat, I will keep you updated. Uh, please do. <laughs> Graham Vise from Governing Magazine, governing.com, as you mentioned. And now on to uh, 2020 with one more candidate jumping in this morning. Leah Askarinam from Inside Elections joins us next year for uh, this final half hour of the Bill Press show today. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's frustrating, you know, just getting off the phone with the league office. They blew the call, and uh, man, there are a lot of opportunities though. But that call puts in first and ten. We're on an E3 plays, and it's a game-changing call. This is the Bill Press Show. Oh, what was that? Oh. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. What was that? I had to. Rough start. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> coming out of the big game yesterday with uh, Saints fan uh, Leah Skarinov. She even, she's not giving up. She even wears her uh, Saints sweatshirt here. Absolutely polo not. Shirt in today. She's huh? going to wear this either way. That was the coach yesterday for the Saints after... He was pissed. Talking about he, that. He uh, as he should many. be. As he should be. But yep. there were, I guess there were questionable calls in both big games, right? Yes, yesterday. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And now we're going to have a really boring Super Bowl, in my opinion. But, I agree. You know... You guys can. I, I will probably be watching like Gilmore like Girls a, or something in two weeks sound all like day. A sore loser. Do I sound like a sore loser? <laughs> oh. I don't know what you're talking here, about. Absolutely what, not. Here's what I've I will never say. been a sore loser in my life. Here's what I will, I'm not a huge NFL fan. We've talked about yes. this before. Uh, you know, we went to New Orleans in mm-hmm. November. So Magnus, my youngest son, has sort of adopted the Saints. He loves the Saints because uh, they had a big game when we were there in town, and so we watched mm-hmm. part of the game, and it was. Maybe the worst blown call by a referee in any game in any sport that I have ever seen, ever. It was egregious. Yeah, it was egregious. Well, what can you do in a case like that? You can't. 
you can wear your sweatshirt the next day and support your team no matter what. And and know that you should have won that game. Yep, and that it would have been a very fun Drew Brees Super Bowl. But, you know, I will support them next year, and we had a great season, and I'm doing fine today. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you trying to convince, us or you? (laughs) Does that mean you're going to uh, support the Patriots against the Rams? Sure. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know what I'm going to support but, on Super Bowl Sunday? An 8.30 p.m. bedtime. I know. Because <laughs> I am not going to watch. <laughs> that sounds more like my plan than actually rooting for the Patriots, but not going to root for the Rams. If it weren't for the bad calls yesterday, people would be talking about the fact that Tom Brady just refuses to die, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, I would have been fine getting this far in the season. You know, I'm not... I'm not a spoiled Patriots fan. I appreciate getting this far. If we lost fair and square, I would be fine. Mm-hmm. I'm just a little bitter. That's all. <laughs> That's all. Hug a Saints fan today because <laughs> they had a rough one yesterday. We did. Okay. Again, Leah Skyron. Now, he's not here as the necessary <laughs> our NFL guest this morning. No, but goodness, we couldn't help no. rubbing it in a little bit. But here to talk 2020, and we have news this morning, news uh, just about an hour ago. On Good Morning America with George Stephanopoulos, here's the junior senator from California. I'm running for president of the United States. And (laughs) And I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited about it. Uh, Interesting that uh, Kirsten Gillibrand made her announcement on Stephen Colbert. Uh, Kamala Harris making her announcement on Good Morning America, I guess. Do we have anybody scheduled that's going to come in and uh, announce they're running see. for president? Uh, let's Funny see. you ask, have? because <laughs> <laughs> right. I have decided I am not running for president. Oh, oh there's, one where there's finally one person there we can rule out. Yeah, finally, right. Uh, Kamala Harris, um, she's got a lot going for her. Yeah, huh? absolutely. So do several of the other candidates in this field. So um, I think she uh, is going to have to kind of defend a bit of a record as a prosecutor. I think that's kind of been the main attack against her so far. But um, (laughs) we'll have to see kind of what her vulnerabilities are when we have our our full field. Um, But like I've said before, um, whoever ends up coming up first in Iowa and New Hampshire, I think we're going to see pretty small margins. So I think she has a shot. I think Gillibrand has a shot. I think Joe Biden, if he gets in the ring, gets a shot. I think it's going to be um, pretty disputed up until the last moment. One thing that um, Kirsten Gillibrand and Kamala Harris and Tulsi Gabbard have in common, not only are three women running for president, but each of them, as you pointed out, they have certain things in their background as far as running as a progressive, which it does seem to be. Mm-hmm. Um the Democratic ticket this time or the message this time is each of them will have certain things they have to say that was then this is now for Kamala Harris it she was a tough ass prosecutor supporting the death penalty mm-hmm. she was attorney general of the United mm-hmm. States Kirsten Gillibrand a big NRA supporter mm-hmm. bragged about having an A plus and a sort of anti-immigrant northern New York mm-hmm. Democrat and then Tulsi Gabbard Leading an initiative campaign to over to to, to ban same sex marriage in Hawaii, uh, and actually supporting conversion therapy for LGBT. Mm-hmm. No, some of them are more serious than others, but all of them have to say, "Well, I've changed." 
Right. And that's the challenge of running as a politician. And part of the reason why Democrats believe they were so successful in the House in 2018 was they ran all of these candidates who had no political record. They were CIA (laughs) operatives. They were uh, veterans. They were doctors. Um, And so they didn't have a legislative record. They didn't have a partisan record. And I think we see like a lot of voters who want kind of fresh faces and don't really want to hear about people's baggage. So all of them will have to deal with that. Right. And they all have to stand up against someone, let's say, another woman, like maybe Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. There'll be others who could make the same argument, but Elizabeth Warren could certainly say, hey, I don't have anything to apologize for. I've been progressive all my life. Where have y'all been? Right. Um, even if right? she... I'm the... So you got basically the born-again progressive versus... The solid, every man, every person, all time progressive, if you will. Exactly. I mean, though Elizabeth Warren will have to deal with some more of that kind of personal yeah, well, record right. stuff. But yeah. like, no, yeah, but no, she doesn't progressive have. Progressive issues. Yeah. Um, though, I mean, we haven't started. We've seen, obviously, the president's Twitter account. We've seen pundits. But we haven't actually seen what uh the opposition research looks like for most of these candidates. We don't know what their vulnerabilities are going to be. We don't know what they're going to be attacked for and what will stick. So, you know, to be determined. Uh, And there's no reason, first of all, so the first debates we learned last week from the DNC are, the first debate is June, this June, Mm -hmm. right? It's not that far away. Um, But for these candidates, if there end up being 20 of them, I mean, why not, right? I mean, there's nothing to lose until Iowa. Well, one of the reasons why not is that okay. there's also a Senate map to, uh, in 2020 and oh, right. House of Representatives and governor's races, obviously. And yeah. there are a handful of states where uh, there are potential presidential nominees who would also be strong uh Senate candidates. So, for example, Texas has another election in 2020. John Cornyn is up for mm-hmm. re-election. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're starting to see, you know, trends in Texas that could help Democrats. So does Beto O'Rourke or Julian Castro, if the presidential campaign doesn't work out, can they turn around and then run for Senate in Texas? Um, same with Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Georgia has a Senate race and she's considering running for that seat. Um, I mean, even in Montana, uh, Steve Bullock, the governor there, could run for Senate there or he could run for president. Colorado, John Hickenlooper. So we're seeing all of these kind of down ballot uh, consequences from uh, decisions that would be at the top of the ballot and they could affect the majority in the Senate. Right. And they'd have to make that decision. It depends on the state. Um, but they probably it, have until the end of the year, though, don't you think? Yes, but that would also that would be possibly the caucuses in Iowa. It would. Yeah. What would be problematic is that uh, other candidates might not want to jump in if they know that they're going to eventually have to face Hickenlooper in the primary. So, will a Democratic crowd start to gather to run for Senate until John Hickenlooper makes his decision? I don't really think so. So they kind of freeze out the field until they're ready to make their final announcements. Right. Um, I've heard it said that it's good to have all these 20, 25 candidates, whatever they are, but that if Joe Biden actually gets in, uh, nobody else has a chance. Um, Well, he definitely has the highest name ID. I think we forget in D.C. that a lot of the country has not heard of 
Elizabeth Warren or, or Beto O'Rourke. You know, certainly people not, aren't certainly not Tulsi Gabbard. Absolutely. Um, so, I, I mean, at this point, like the data would support that. But again, when we get to Iowa, I don't think there's going to be uh, very many candidates who have zero chance. I mean, they're all going to have well-funded campaigns. They're all starting to get ready in Iowa. They're already establishing a presence there. I think Elizabeth Warren has been pretty smart getting in the field early, making sure that people know who she is early on. John Delaney has been there for like a year now, right? So um, I think yeah, like he could stay there for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, right. So I think... Uh, I I wouldn't say it's anybody's game at this point. I think that Joe Biden could get in and not win. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, Bernie Sanders going to run? I don't know, Bill. Is he? (laughs) I know everybody asks me that. (laughs) I love asking somebody else that same question. (laughs) Um, Do you think the stories about allegations of sexual harassment in his campaign that went unanswered um, hurt him? I know. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think it's um, it's obviously not helpful. Nobody wants to run with that. But Um, pretty clear that he, the senator, he, the candidate, did not know what was going on. And he says that I believe him. I mean, I think it just depends on how the attacks are framed and how and if they stick Um, and if he's attacked for that at all. I mean, there are plenty of other things that conservative Republicans will attack Bernie Sanders for that don't have to do with that. But other Democrats may attack him on this. They could. They absolutely could. And um, but and it seems like, you know, Bernie Sanders could have benefited from more kind of support from women, from minorities in 2016. And I think he's making an effort to make sure that happens if he runs again in 2020. Um, So I don't think it's a a nail in the coffin of his presidential run at all. Um, He can certainly run and We'll see what happens. Uh, putting that aside, which I don't think should be held against him because I think he's done everything once he found out about it that he could have, including mm-hmm. firing a couple of people because they were not sensitive enough to this and didn't do anything, uh, starting with his campaign manager. Um, but one thing for sure about Bernie, I think you'd agree, is that uh, in 2020, he had the progressive field to himself. Mm-hmm. And now the progressive field is basically the Democratic field at this yeah, point. right. Yeah. So he's going to have to come up with his own lane, and I don't know what that is at this point. Um, It's also, I mean, we are seeing kind of a desire for people to, people want to vote for fresh faces, and running once before is going to be um, kind of a a knock against that idea that you're, you know, Bernie Sanders was the kind of fresh alternative to Hillary Clinton. Um, Hillary Clinton isn't in this race. No, you're absolutely right. It's just funny that... (laughs) <laughs> that the fresh alternative I know. turned out to be the 74-year-old <laughs> <laughs> uh, Democratic Socialist from Vermont. Says right? a few things about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, no, it's a whole uh, – he's going to have to basically come up with, I think, a new um, kind of argument for why he should be the nominee instead of, you know, Gillibrand, who's voted against um, all of Trump's cabinet appointments. So who is the – I don't want to say non-progressive, but less progressive, more centrist Democrat. So I don't think we've seen those get in as much yet. So we've seen, you know, Richard Ojeda in, in West Virginia, okay. but I don't really know but, what's happening there. But, but I just want to point out, <laughs> but, the only reason I ever mentioned Richard Ojeda is just for laughs. So okay. He's an entertaining guy. Yeah. Oh, he's but, super entertaining. Okay, but let's talk about But I mean, w- 
that would be the the Joe Bidens, the Steve Bullocks, um, Steve Bullock, maybe Joe, Biden. Uh, John Hickenlooper, um, the ones who are mentioning earlier who might run for governor. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be as much prog- or Jerry, moderate in Jerry terms McAuliffe. of. I think so. I think that kind of falls into that he category. Would, he would be into that, yeah. But I think that we have to differentiate between kind of style and actual policy. Um, obviously, if you are the governor of Montana, you have to legislate in a way uh, that appeases a, a mostly red state. Um, he's managed to be reelected there, which says something about his, his own profile. Um but when we're actually looking at the way I think people approach voters and their rhetoric, I think that's kind of the, I think Steve Bullock and Joe Biden kind of uh, capture that that centrist feeling. I don't know about their individual records. Uh, I want to ask you uh, particularly about two others. Uh, so I hear from friends of mine that uh, the idea of let's let's uh, of a a younger progressive. Just as strong with message as Bernie, but maybe younger and not so grouchy. Sherrod Brown. Mm-hmm. And he would, I think, fall into that same kind of category of the the Joe Bidens and Steve Bullocks. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been, I think he has a fan base, too, in D.C. I think he would be able to fundraise there. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up winning his 2018 Senate race, even though it seems Handily. like the and, and it's into the. He's always been the number one target of the Koch brothers too, and he's always he's beat them twice at least. In the same year, a Republican won the governor's race there, and Democrats didn't win a single competitive House race in Ohio. Right. So uh, he's definitely proved his own his own profile, and I don't know if he wants to run again for Senate, but that also. If he did become the nominee, then Democrats have to run a Senate candidate in Ohio. And that could also be a, a factor for, uh, for him to consider. Okay. And so then there's Beto O'Rourke, who uh, still uh, just generates a lot of excitement around the country mm-hmm. uh, for that Senate race where he raised a phenomenal amount of money mm-hmm. and proved to be an incredible candidate, appealing to Democrats across the board and almost almost won that Senate race, but mm-hmm. didn't. Um, and now, you know, what are we, everybody else seems to be doing things kind of the classic way of announcing, of preparing the exploratory committee or announcing for president. Mm-hmm. Beto is off in his pickup truck driving around. And getting his teeth cleaned on get, Facebook get, Live. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh, you must say it's certainly an unorthodox way to present yourself as a presidential candidate, this loner driving around in his, with his baseball cap on in his pickup truck. Is he crazy or is this really smart? Uh. Well, that was a question we asked in 2018 as well for a Senate race because mm-hmm. he didn't have pollsters and, you know, right. kind of professional consultants. And the question was, is this genius or is this crazy? It's probably someplace in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it seems to generate a lot of enthusiasm and fundraising. I mean, you can't say he was unsuccessful after raising like okay. $80 million. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the presidential campaign is not a Senate campaign. I don't think you can go without pollsters in a presidential campaign. I don't think you can go without professional advisors and consultants. Um, so it's a it's a different game entirely. And I don't know if we know yet that uh, Beto O'Rourke is prepared for that. But I don't know if we know that any of these Senate candidates are prepared for that yet. You know what I think? Senators. You know, you know most of them. I, uh, I was and, and I know a lot of them. I was thinking the other day: Are there enough? 
Democratic consultants to go around? That's actually a question right now, at least Seriously, in Seriously, how many Texas. pollsters and, and, and people who know how to run presidential campaigns either have or, or, or you trust them with a, you know, as their first one? How many of them are there? Right, and I think they're There are more candidates than consultants. The top-tier candidates are grabbing them pretty early on. Um, but I think that could be a problem, especially in places like Texas, where you have two very popular Texans, Castro and Beto O'Rourke, um, both um, po possibly running for president. So I don't know what happens on the ground in Texas when there's a, a Senate race and um, a handful of competitive House seats. I have people declaring their intention to run for Democratic pollsters or Democratic consultants. <laughs> they can have like more and more people getting into that field. I uh, think, yeah, a lot more well, kind of freestyle yeah. polling. Uh, yeah. I think you have to say that if you are a a Democratic consultant or a strategist or pollster today, and you don't have a candidate, <laughs> that's not a good sign. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or, right. If, or if you don't have somebody asking to be yeah. represented by, yeah, it's mm -hmm. this. It's probably time to uh, consider another line. <laughs> Even if you're representing the Ojeda wing of the Democratic Party. <laughs> that huge wing. Yes. That, yes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Julian Castro. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's, again, I think people tend to dismiss too easily, right? I mean, he, he's got there's this, he's, he's got a cachet. He's got a lane. Yeah, he does have a lane. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he does. Um, and just because he wasn't talked about as much recently because he wasn't in any high-profile races doesn't mean that he... Uh, doesn't have a lot of clout in Texas, connections there, money connections there, and mm -hmm. um, some name ID. Um, and if he could bring Texas into the presidential conversation, um, that would be a, a huge asset for Democrats. Uh, and the only Latino in the race, and mm -hmm. only one even talking about getting in the race, so far as I know, I so there'll be another one. And he was mayor of San Antonio, uh, Peter, even Donald Trump talked about San Antonio um, on on Saturday because I guess Julian Castro gets the credit, doesn't he, for building the wall? Here's the president. You look at San Antonio, you look at so many different places. They go from one of the most unsafe cities in the country to one of the safest cities immediately, immediately. Uh, it works. We have to put them up. Yep. So that... San Antonio is such a great city because they built a wall around it. Um, we've been trying to figure out ever since. There's no wall around San Antonio. I mean, it's I, 150 miles from the border. I haven't <laughs> heard of a San Antonio border wall. I don't know what the border would be with. Well, we were, we were talking earlier. The only wall, Peter lived in San Antonio. Oh, right. I was there six weeks ago for a speech. There's a wall around the Alamo, uh, which. It can get confusing sometimes. But, but didn't really work very well. <laughs> yeah, how'd that work out? How'd that work out in the Alamo? They all got slaughtered. Yeah, quite I mean, easily. Quite easily. Quite easily, yeah. I could scale that wall at the Alamo. I mean, you know, so who knows? Maybe, but Julian Castro, good man. He built the wall around San Antonio, right? <laughs> the famous San Antonio wall. Yeah. <laughs> the famous San Antonio wall, right? Great wall of San Antonio. Oh, uh, will there be a challenge to Donald Trump on the Republican side? Um, I wouldn't rule it out, um, though I can't imagine a successful challenge <laughs> coming well, up. I can't, but I can't imagine a successful challenge. I can't even. I'd love to, but I can't even imagine a challenge at this point. I mean, 
Jeff Flake? Nah, he doesn't have that. It would have to be somebody with nothing to lose. I mean, it would have to be somebody who's not up for re-election or isn't seeking political office again. I think it would have to be largely based on principle. But then again, there's still a lot of time in yeah, the cycle. Right. We don't know what's going to happen with this Russia investigation. There's still a lot of stuff that can happen. So um, John Kasich is now a CNN contributor, which means, I know, I've been a CNN contributor. I've worked for CNN. He cannot do anything politically uh, for a year. I mean, at the, under a contract, he'd have to break his contract. I don't know what his contract says. Hmm. But if it's a year, that's a year where he can't be active politically. Neither can Rick Santorum. So take those two out. Yeah, and I can't really think. I mean, again, Jeff Flake would be, I mean, maybe like a Ben Sask. I mean, he is vocal, but um, that's all just kind of speculation based on their rhetoric more than actual plans. And all we've works. ever heard is their rhetoric. We've never seen them really willing to take right. any any. Any action? Yeah, and I I don't see um, a path to victory for a Republican challenger at this point. I mean, what do you hear from Stacey Abrams in Georgia? She's um, on a thank you tour, which so means it seems like she's considering. Um, it seems like she's keeping her options open. Mm-hmm. So there is a Senate race in Georgia. Yeah. Um, there's obviously the presidential race. Um, there's some speculation that she might wait for the next gubernatorial race and have a rematch. Um, so I think she has a whole bunch of options. She has a huge national network. And um, yeah. I think one of the questions is why she's not being discussed quite as much as some of these other candidates like Beto O'Rourke, given mm-hmm. how incredibly close she was. In yeah, the, the uh, we, haven't heard, race. we haven't heard the last of Stacey Abrams, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's great to see you. Great Thanks so much for too. coming in today. Uh, you can follow these work at, and Nathan's work at Inside Elections, insideelections.com. Have a great day, folks. This we'll see you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.